0: This is Wessler Media.
1: Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Profiles, part two of the Jeff Ruby story. Real quick, if you haven't shared it yet, would you share this episode and give us a five-star review? We'd be greatly appreciative. All right, here's part two. This is a Wessler Media production. Welcome to this episode of Profiles and part two of Jeff Ruby's story. If you missed part one of his incredible journey, we'd really encourage you to listen to that one Because in part one, you'll experience his rocky upbringing, brushes with Jersey mobsters, firing his first chef at 13, running away from home two years later, how in college his band opened and closed for Sly and the Family Stone was rescued from almost drowning by his friend Chris Collinsworth. But now, it's 1987, and Jeff Ruby, in the midst of an argument with his wife, jumped out of a moving car. He's near death in the hospital with one final option that could save his life.
2: I'm gonna try something I haven't tried before, but it's his only chance, okay? The blood pressure, the pressure in his brain was supposed to be 10%, it was 10. Mine was at 22. So we gotta put a bolt in his brain and try to get that, that pressure to come down. It's an experiment, but uh, but be prepared for death.
0: They said, would you like us to call a, um, a chaplain? And I said, no, no. Because to me, that was like, you want me to say goodbye? And um, the chaplain came in anyways. He came in and he says, I just want to stop. And I thought, you know, I'd pray. And when he, when he stuck his hands out to shake my hand, he said, hello, he goes, my name is Father
2: Louis Weiss. Louis Weiss. My real biological father's name is Louis Weiss.
0: And all the years I've been with Jeff, he rarely ever talked about his real biological father, which was a lawyer which his mother was the secretary. And, and what hurt Jeff so deeply is that this man never acknowledged him. So when this chaplain came in, I felt like his dad was there.
2: I'm uh, still in the coma, and investigations investigation's going on, the talk's going on, the rumors are going on.
3: The press was crazy. I remember mom was asked to go on Oprah, it was on the cover of Cincinnati Magazine.
2: She's accused of throwing me out of the out of the car. Johnny Bench told the story again the other day. He was here the other day. He says, yeah, it wasn't the, what you jumped at. Is when she backed up on purpose to drive over you. That's what killed you. I mean, everybody had their stories. Carolyn Rose is like best friends with my wife, Raquel. So they're in the hospital. They're in my room. But she's in there. Raquel's off there talking to somebody, doing something, whatever. And Carol comes over to the bed. I'm in a coma. And I open up my eyes.
0: They prepped me outside. They said, we want you to ask him some very basic questions. OK, let's just start out with that. And so I went, Jeff, do you know who I am? And he looked at me, and then he looked at all the doctors and the nurses all around him. And he goes, Hell, you don't know who you are? And I was like, oh, my God. And the whole room just cracked up laughing.
2: I was out of the coma. Not that day, but eventually I went out of the hospital.
0: He remained there at the hospital for like a long time because he had to go through rehabilitation and all of that. And it was like I had four babies at home because he had to learn how to pick up a spoon and feed himself. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn everything, you know. It was a very, very hard year and we were just had just opened up the water for it
3: you know still has tinnitus in his ear lost his sense of smell lost ability to really process things before you think um i joke it wasn't that great to begin with
2: so i get out and i'm on phenobarbital so i don't have a seizure or anything I, i didn't take it one day i'm driving for a meeting with our general contractor, our architect and designer. There's gonna be a big meeting, two in the afternoon at the waterfront. They're gonna update on the construction of Las Brisas, this floating resort nightclub. I'm on the I-75 bridge. And all of a sudden, I see a friend of mine, Skip Greenberg, he's in a car. Hey, Jeff. How are you? And I just look at him. I have a seizure on the I-75 bridge. But I'm near the fifth street exit to get off where the, where the waterfront is. I get off the ramp, and I make it to the waterfront somehow, and then I drop, and then that's the end. Pat Dempsey comes by, sees me, puts a pencil in my mouth. He said, "A swallow in my tongue, okay." Sidney Brown, my secretary, she calls the ambulance, and she said, "No, he's got to be, Well, we can't go across the way." this is where he had brain surgery he almost died this is where her neurosurgeons are this is where neurologists are he's got to and so they took me to christ hospital to university hospital
0: the day i knew that he was really back was we were driving and they had just given him he'd had a couple seizures so he was just given his license back to drive again so we were going into the waterfront and we were in the car and it was on 471 and he called information for a phone number and he he was driving and he listened to the phone number. Then he asked for another phone number and he hung up and then he dialed that number, had that conversation and then dialed the other number. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody can tell me a phone number and I have forgotten it within five minutes. One, let alone remember to have a conversation and go back to I, I knew that uh, that was my breaking point right there, where I was like, "Thank you, Jesus. He's back. He made a full recovery, and then he went on to open more restaurants."
2: I already had the logo done for Seventh Street Grill, and Paul Kitzmiller, Core Resources, has done thousands of restaurants, and most of them in this town. They're going to be our general contractor first time. Paul says, "You got to call this place Jeff Rubens. I said, "I want to name the place the place after me." I didn't want it named after me. So we had a party here. We had about 1,000 people, all of our clientele. So I said, listen, I list all these names. Let's take a vote. Jeff Ruby won the election. 80, 95% of the people, just Jeff Ruby's.
1: This was the first Jeff Ruby restaurant branded exclusively with his name.
2: It was the precinct, the waterfront, Jeff Ruby's. And Carlo and Johnny was a different thing. Why why didn't I call it Jeff Ruby's? Eh, Number one, it's in the same town. I had already. Gone in there when it was shut down to see if I wanted to buy it. I told my son, Brent, I said, Brent, you want to make $20? Yeah, I break into Carlo and Johnny for me. And I'll be right there. I know. Brother, you hit then me. They're not, they're, you know, they're not gonna bother you. You're just a kid. Okay. So he does. And I do the research on the place that had gone out of business. I bought the place on the courthouse steps for a dollar more than the mortgage. Okay, and that's a long story how I got that. But so I'll skip it. It's a fun story, maybe for another day. But they, anyway. He went to go
0: by, um, he says, I'm going to go bid on this um, oven at this other restaurant. And I said, You're going to bid on, what is it? What do we need? He goes, We need an oven. We need a, we need a new refrigerator too. So I'm just going to go see what they brought. And I said to him, That's all you're getting, really and truly? He he went, and then when he got home, I was like, um, "Hey, did we get that um, oven or whatever it was?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." I go, "Do you get the refrigerator?" And he goes, mm-hmm, yeah." And then I just looked at him, and then I went, "Jeff, did you get anything else?" And he goes, "Honey, this is gonna just this place is just gonna rock." And I went, "Oh my God, oh my God, you bought the restaurant." That actually was the end of our marriage. (laughs) When Jeff would open a restaurant, he would literally sleep there overnight, so that he could be there first thing in the morning with the builders. He would come home, of course, you know, change and clothes, and then take more clothes. But he he would be gone for like three, four months. That's how long it would take to open up a restaurant. And he would just be gone. When he was at the precinct, he was there every night. When he was at the the waterfront, he was there every day.
2: Our restaurants don't come out of a can. It takes a lot. It takes a year. I'm there every day, the the construction, everything. I worry more about failing uh, and uh, being a failure uh, than being successful and trying not to fail rather than trying to succeed. It cost me my marriage. You know, I wasn't giving enough time to my wife. I tried to be a good father. I didn't go on vacations with the kids, but I coached my two sons, youth football, seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10, 11-year-old, coached them. I was at Brittany's every practice when she was playing softball.
3: God could not have given me a better father uh, than Jeff Ruby. And to go from childhood to adolescence to then he's, you know, he's dad there and he's, and then to mentor, and now to still mentor, but best friend, and and everything that he is to me, uh, I have the greatest father I could ever ask for.
2: So I was a good parent, but the price of success was, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, it cost me my marriage, it cost me a, a, quality, a, a quality of life. You know, I didn't go anywhere.
0: Every vacation, he was never on them, you know, and that's what caused probably our probably my biggest ground for divorce with him
2: you know he kept saying that he would change you know the first vacation I went with the family was eight years ago and now we go sometimes two three times a year you know but I never had a child I was working working and working life to me now is family faith and food that's my family faith and food in that order.
1: Jeff's personal challenges were soon met with professional challenges as the waterfront was about to cause a media stir.
2: Basically, I called it the waterfront after the movie. Okay? I should have called it the Poseidon Adventure. That's the name of this restaurant. If I could have seen what I know now, but I knew now what I, knew, I know then.
4: I'm doing a, a, an event down there. And after the event, I took everybody down to the waterfront. Well, it was a horrendous night. The, the Ohio River typically is 25 feet. The Ohio River this day was 60 feet. I mean, it is raging. You think it's like rapids coming down there. So we're sitting inside and we're all having dinner. And all of a sudden you feel this oh snap, you know, steel snapping. And we're all looking around. Nobody knows what's going on. And so I go walking outside and the general manager of the place, a guy named Charlie Bledsoe, is out there and he goes, Oh my god, we don't have a plank to get off this boat. <laughs> it's like the Titanic. Everybody inside just kept partying. It was like, Yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. So I've got I've got 50 people inside from this event. So now the fire department shows up. And so we're they're all trying to figure out what the heck they're gonna do. So ultimately they have this fire ladder that they extend across and so we've got some (laughs) shoestrings or something and so i'm not exactly a boy scout and neither is charlie so we're just trying to somehow tie this ladder to what's left of of the outside little area where people can get off I tie it up, and I mean, literally like granny knots. I mean, it was like pathetic. So I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, somebody's got to try it. And I look over at Charlie, and he's like, oh, hell no. I mean, because the water is under, it's like raging. It's going, and it's whatever, November or whatever. It was freezing outside. And I was like, all right. I go, I think it would be all right. And I've kind of shook it a couple times, you know. And so I turn around and I put like, my hands on this thing and i put one foot on it and then i put the other foot on it so when i put my full body weight on despite my granny knots, this thing went and i thought it was over i said all right charlie just hold this sucker man i go i'm gonna give this a shot so i back my way off of it get off fine so i'm i'm happy about that so now i say all right i gotta go back up there i got hundred people that I have to go take care of. And the fire chief's there and he's like, oh, hell no. I got a hundred and something people on that boat. I gotta get off, you ain't getting back on. Unbeknownst to me, this thing now is like a national and worldwide news story that this restaurant has broken loose. There are television cameras on the levee up above here that I never see so the next day and i worked at wlw radio station here in town and they have a lunatic down there named bill cunningham he's like jeff he's gonna bust my chops any chance he gets the next day he goes on the radio and he's telling talking about the whole story of what happened and da da da, the boat broke free and da-da. he goes but the great thing was that our colleague chris collinsworth said damn the women and children get my ass off of here The funny thing was, and this is what really made the story worse, by the time Jeff got there, they had sort of settled the ladder. Ultimately, they put wood on the thing so you could literally walk down, you know, at that point. So then the story is, well, Jeff went back on the boat while you were escaping. To this day, I still get so so tortured by this story. Because here I am, I'm thinking I'm like this brave hero that <laughs> turned into, he sold everybody out, he got off first. I'm like, oh, just another Jeff Ruby story.
2: We were redoing the waterfront. It was up in Hebron at a dock. And we were going to take it and build more barges and go with the Covington Landing where all of that went out of business. So we're back going to redo it. And then it sank. Everything sank, all the way, everything.
3: It ends up getting scrapped because at this point it's just sinking and it's, there's nothing we can do. When that happened, our company actually got stronger because that was a very high operating cost. You know, operating a restaurant on a barge is very uh, costly, very expensive. But what will always have a hole in our heart is just that the waterfront's not here. I think, I think dad, if he had the option He would operate that thing at a loss just to have it because it was just so special. And what an incredible place.
1: The waterfront was eventually demolished after it became unmanageable. But this isn't the only Jeff Ruby restaurant that no longer exists. Bootsy comes to me.
2: Rube, I want to do a restaurant with you. So we opened it and I called it Bootsy's. It was that fun place, but it didn't make it.
5: I think we met in uh, 2002 uh but i had been hearing about you know hearing about jeff i just hadn't met him before then and um once we met man you know it, it we we just started sparking off of each other and um you know it was just something about uh i guess the two different worlds and he was inst- interested i guess in the world i lived in and i was interested in the world he lived in and we both just kind of hit it off as friends. We would uh go to different clubs and stuff and you know, he would tell me, "Come on man, let's get up on stage, you know, or let's get up on top of the bar." I'm like, "You sure, man?" "Yeah, man, let's do it." So, you know, even though I do crazy stuff, you know, I do crazy stuff at the show, at my show. I don't walk into people's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff and start doing crazy stuff. And Jeff, he would always pull me into it and And I would do it, you know? And it was fun. Man, I remember um, we flew to um, Memphis on the private jet. Man, I mean, it was non-stop. You know, we would rap and rap over and over. New story here, new story there. And he dozed off for a second. I could not believe it. He had one eye open and one eye closed. (laughs) I said, Jeff. What are you doing, man? He said, I'm sleep watching you. I was like, "Okay," (laughs) But that's, you know, that's the fun that you, you get from Jeff. I mean, that's that's him. He got a lot in there that needs to come out. And it's all the time. The next thing I know, we were talking about let's do a restaurant. And it was amazing to me because it was like a perfect time because I was off the road and I, I was having, like, withdrawals about being on the road because it was so demanding, you know? And when uh, Jeff mentioned that about the restaurant, it's like, oh, that would be cool. That way I can just, you know, be in town. You know, I can be it, come down to the restaurant, you know, do this, that and the other whenever I feel like doing it. And that felt really good to me. So that whole idea, it was perfect. It was perfect. So we started to follow through with it. You know, when Jeff does something, he puts his whole heart and soul into it. And I knew it was going to be the bomb, you know? And I was like, "Dag!" And then every, every step, he included me on you know, being there, meeting who was doing it, talking to him, you know, um, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? He would always include me. He didn't really have to do that, but he did. You know, so that's something I will will never uh, forget. You know, we had a lot of fun doing that. I mean, a lot of fun doing it. In 2008, you know, 2008, that's the worst year that you could possibly try to put anything together. You know, that's not a, a restaurant. Things happen at the right time. And at that particular time, I was then thinking about going back on the road. We had such a great experience. And not only that, we got to grow together as opposed to apart. Before we went all the way downhill, Jeff called me down to the office one day and said, come down here, I got something for you. So I got myself together, I go down to, to Jeff's office. I call him before I go up and I say, I'm here. He came down, he you know, was at the window and he was telling me to roll my window down. And I rolled the window down and he threw a little Rottweiler puppy right at my arm. I was like, Jeff, what are you doing? He said, that's yours. Just keep it, man. I love you, man. You know, he knew I loved Rottweilers, and I had just lost one of them. I had four of them. He didn't know at the time that I I needed, you know, I want I was gonna get another puppy. And I named that puppy Nitro. That was one of the names I had gave Jeff, you know. Like he's he's a nitro Glittering ball, you know. And so I named I named the, <laughs> named the puppy nitro. <laughs> It all worked out
1: really good. So, Bucci's was reopened as the Walnut Street Grill, which eventually closed in 2012. Despite some business failures, today his company runs seven restaurants in three states. You got The Precinct, Carlo and Johnny, Jeff Ruby, Cincinnati, Columbus, Lexington, Nashville, and Louisville. It was at that last location that he had an incident involving an infamous celebrity that made national headlines.
2: This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Okay, the O.J. story. You ready? I had met O.J. Simpson many times. He had come to the precinct. He had come to the waterfront. And he came to the waterfront after the murders and after he was acquitted. He he was a nice guy. And now, you know, we got the murder. I've opened up Louisville, and it was our first Derby. Place is packed, it's Friday night, and Nick Lachey was gonna be there. He's sitting at a table with about 10 people in the back of the Churchill room, and then they're done. He leaves, the place is so packed, I got no place to sit and I'm tired, and um, I sit on the stage, and some guy comes up to me, OJ's here, all giddy, like, hey, this is great. So I'm sitting there, thing on what to do about it. I ask my brain, I ask my heart, and I ask my gut. If two out of the three of those parts of me say do it or don't do it, I do it that two, three, uh, three say, the majority. I got Jack Daniels in one hand. I got Arturo Fuente in my other hand, a cigar. My heart is a vote. My heart just throw them out. My gut, I don't know. What's my gut feel? What is what is my gut telling me? What's my gut feeling about this thing? So I said, well, maybe Arturo Fuente can help me. So I, I take another, just like I needed for this interview. I got to relax and, you know, Arturo, what do you think? Ask Jack Daniels, Jack, you've been with be a long time. You're a close friend. What do I do? I asked the brain. The brain says, Leave me out of this. I have no, I, I am The brain never would vote. And finally, to get the gut to tell me, don't do it or do it. And the gut said, finally said, Throw them out. So I go in there, and I said to him, uh, I'm not serving you. And he just looked at me dumbfounded. I think this is gonna end in a fight. OJ's gonna say, F you, I'm not leaving. And I was gonna say, well, let's go. And I was gonna grab him and make him leave. And if you put up a fight, we were gonna fight. I wanted to see if this retired linebacker could beat this retired running back. I still think I got it, okay? And I wait outside him to make his decision. Close the door. I went outside. And and the place, he comes up to me. He says, I understand, Jeff. I I understand. Can you let me have the time before I leave to find my party? They don't know. We got to go somewhere else. So I said, fine. He was so polite. I almost changed my mind. There was no animosity. It wasn't contentious. I guess he knew me. Uh, My name's Jeff Ruby, he's a restaurateur, but he remembered me. Great guy, until you you do what you did. I come back, I was getting a standing ovation. Now it's like 11 o'clock at night, and next thing you know, there's a big bunch of guys at at the front door, like 40 people. That room is empty now. It's 11 o'clock, what a great, you know, it's Michael Jordan, and 40 people, and only one of them was white, which which good because later his O.J.'s attorney said it was I was a racist, that's why I threw him out. They got seated. This lady who does work for People Magazine, she says, Jeff, Jeff, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you about tonight? Tell me about Nick Lachey. He was in tonight. I said, I thought you talk been talking about O.J. She said, well, What happened with O.J.? So I tell her. Monday, the following, I'm sitting at Strauss Tobacco doing what I always do, okay? With the boys smoking cigars and, you know. I get a call from the Channel 5 anchor. Did you throw out OJ? Louisville? I said, yeah. How'd you know? I said, I don't know, but somebody from Louisville called us and said, you threw out OJ Simpson. So he wants to do an interview. I didn't care about publicity. That was the other thing uh, uh, Gail Galanter said later. He did it for publicity. OJ, so I, I do the interview. The Inquirer calls me while I'm sitting at Strauss. Chris Collinsworth calls me. He says, you threw out O.J. Simpson Friday," And the Inquirer guy was behind me standing there. He's well, He wants a story. So I'm on live with Chris Collinsworth. I'm going to do an interview. I said, Chris, let me tell you the difference between you and me. And Chris is one of my, probably my closest friend. I said, here's the difference between you and me. You report the news. I create the news.
4: When he called me, he probably started with, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, Jeff, I've been around you my whole life. I, I'm going to believe anything you're going to tell me. And he's launched into this story I'm like, ah, that's even a stretch for you, man. That that one's, that one's up there. But he became a full hero. I mean, he would walk around town and it was like, Henry,
2: that a boy. I had death threats from the Black Panthers and all this other stuff. And, right, and in Louisville, they started, you know, picketing and three black ministers came in and wanted to do a press conference with me that it wasn't racism. And we did, there was, obviously it hit the button. It's gonna hit the button, the racial button. And that was the last thing on my mind. You know, If he hadn't murdered anybody, I would would have asked for another picture.
1: So after hearing a story involving O.J., Michael Jordan, and Nick Lachey, you might get the impression that the life of Jeff Ruby is one celebrity encounter after the next. But for decades now, he has devoted time and effort to a cause that is personal. Driven by a life with an absent father, he has been the role model to several fatherless adolescents, many who are waiters, cooks, and dishwashers that now work for him. He started the Jeff Ruby Foundation, a charity that provides support to the Cincinnati foster care system, Despite his success in the restaurant business, this is what he's most proud of.
0: What he gives back to these kids today, he's been doing that since the day I met him, when he didn't have any money. If there was a boy that didn't have a father because he remembered his life, he became their coach.
3: He has such a heart for people, and especially young men without fathers, because that was his situation and what has been the most impactful in changing the trajectory of a child's life is just being there for someone. And so he did, he did not ever formally adopt my 20 surrogate brothers, but all 20 of them knew, knew and still do to this day that he is a phone call away and that they will never be out on the streets alone. He has many people that I think count on him, uh, whether he knows it or not.
1: Throughout our interview, Mr. Ruby introduced us to some of the employees he currently mentors. He talked about how he helped a young boy named michael williams who he met while he was recovering from his accident mr ruby also discussed supporting three Earlage boys through college three brothers who lost their father all of this is done in honor of one man who helped a young jeff ruby get his life on track jeep bednarik i brought him in first class
2: and we're doing a birthday party for me and i flew him in who was in the car in the limo with us the three Earlage boys i said this is your grandfather. What he did for me is why I'm doing it for you. That's a chance for me to thank Jeep, introduce him to everybody, and meet a lot of the kids that he's the grandfather to. And Kenny Rogers is playing my birthday party, and we're doing the restaurant at Bellterra Casino. I introduced Kenny Rogers, but before I introduced Kenny Rogers, I said, there's somebody here in the audience that is the real celebrity. He got up, he gets a standing ovation from 1,800 people. First time in his life. And he put a couple guys in the pros. It's only the first time that anybody ever come back and said anything to thank him like that.
0: Nothing is gonna stop him once he's made up his mind. Whether it be, steal me away from an engagement or do this restaurant, nothing will ever stop him. He just pushes through.
4: He was a pain in the ass. He was was, uh, aggressive. Uh, He knew what he was doing. He knew what he had put into the situation to make it successful. It just didn't happen overnight. This guy worked his ass off in the restaurant business. He wants to have the best restaurant in Cincinnati. He wasn't a franchise type guy.
2: I wanted to see my kids grow rather than the company grow. I I never wanted to have the most steakhouses in the country. I wanted to have the best steakhouses in the country. You can't be the best and have the most. You got 50 places. You can't do that and have the quality we have. It's impossible. It's damn hard enough for me with seven restaurants. I'm never happy with our food. I'm always complaining, okay, because I want it as close. I don't strive for perfection. I strive for excellence. If you strive for excellence, you'll have success. If you strive for perfection, you'll have a
1: nervous breakdown. In 2015, Mr. Ruby handed off his company to his children and is now retired. well semi-retired. Because he hasn't stopped working and probably never will. But as I said at the beginning of this episode, summarizing the life and legacy of Jeff Ruby into one episode really isn't possible. Because there were many more stories in his biography that we wanted to ask him, but we ran out of time. But for every wild night or crazy story that Jeff Ruby does have, there's an overabundance of stories about nights where all he was doing was working. Working in kitchens, working at hotels, working at one of his restaurants so late that he ends up sleeping there. And that really is the story of Jeff Ruby. Few people could work their way to the top like Jeff Ruby did. How Jeff's story contributes to the story of Ohio can differ depending on whom you ask and how they interpret the question. On the surface, Jeff's establishments brought the spotlight to the Cincinnati restaurant scene. His steakhouses are often listed as some of the best in the country. Going one level deeper though, you can say that Jeff was a community builder, providing resources to the foster care system through the Jeff Ruby Foundation and acting as a role model for many children without a father. But in totality, Mr. Ruby is the embodiment of a dream that many of us have. Through hard work and determination, he went from having nothing to having just about everything. It's a story as old as America itself. But because these events happened just north of the Ohio River, we can say that his story is one of ours.
4: He is such a true blue Ohioan. I mean, he just is. He takes great pride in where he lives. He's brought a little New Jersey attitude and strut to, uh, to Ohio. And, and uh, I, I think that when you look at Jeff and what he's done and his legacy, and what it's meant to Ohio, I think it's gonna live long, long, long past uh, even his own life because it represents something. You know, he excels the, the Jeff Ruby experience, as he calls it. And my favorite line is, if they're hungry, they'll go to the refrigerator. They want the experience to come to Jeff Ruby's. Jeff Ruby Steakhouse will never get old. He has the city he loves, Cincinnati, in the palm of his hand, as
2: far as food's concerned. There's three ways to do so, the right way, the wrong way, or your way. I did it my way. I, I think I've done okay for myself, you know, and, and considering, I mean, I'm not that big of a deal. I've, there's a lot more successful people, than me, especially in this business, but I'm supposed to be dead. I lost 20% of my brain. I was led my read my last rites, a 5% chance of living. 5,000 prayer lines were set up. I was told I'm not supposed to be here. And I've got to do good things because that's why God saved me. I just want people to remember, He loved, He cared, and He gave. He did so many good things for people, and uh, He helped a lot of people's lives, and, including employees. And and that he, you know, he tried to do good. He was a little wild.
5: He had a little edge, you know. Um, of course, he's a restaurant owner and a business owner, and you know, but he he lives, you know, he lives like a rock star. He, he he's a rock
4: star. It's like a rock star is coming in the in the restaurant.
5: That's who he is, and it's a beautiful thing. If you watch him in his work and in his giving, in his service to people, if you watch him, you you'll be inspired.
3: I don't even think he would care so much as to be like one of the greatest restaurant operators. He would care more about being a good dad. And he drastically changed lives, saved many lives. He's just the most sensitive man I've ever met.
0: There are two types of people out there. There are givers and there are takers. And Jeff is definitely a giver. I can't say enough about his generosity and the kind of quality person he is. And I would almost get offended when somebody would say something like, "How could you be married to him?" Because how could I not? I would say his legacy was: you really can go from a, a rags to riches story if you you work hard. He's been so good for the city of Cincinnati,
4: you know. And uh, all I can say is, uh, he's a legend.
0: I will always love that man.
1: From Westlord Media, this has been Profiles. I'm Vince Tornero, President and Executive Producer at Westlord Media and host of this podcast. This series has been created by me and my associate producer, Kevin Skubak. We would, of course, like to first thank Mr. Jeff Ruby for being so generous with his time and his assistance in lining up other guests for this podcast. We've got to thank those guests, Brittany Ruby Miller, Raquel Ruby, Pete Rose, Chris Collinsworth, and the great Bootsy Collins. Additional acknowledgement to other important Jeff Ruby staff. You have Ben Stallard, Olivia Johnson, Mariel Wood, and the entire team at Jeff Ruby Cincinnati. They're great people. We read Jeff Ruby's book, not counting tomorrow, as well as his daughter's book, Five Star Life. There are links to both of those in the show notes. Last thing, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and share it with friends and family. We greatly appreciate it. So from Westlore Media, we appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time here on Profiles. so this marks the end of our series profiles the first season is done with we are working on season two but if you got some ideas let us know why don't you just email me vince at wesslermedia.com v-i-n-c-e at wesslermedia.com link in the show notes love to hear from you thanks for listening to profiles